you are listening to the Pleasant View Baptist Church preaching podcast. We hope today's message will be a blessing to you and your family. Thank you for taking time to listen to our preaching podcast. Uh, over my sins, you know, just just not just tonight. He's given me victory over my sins. He's given me victory over uh, uh, my flesh, and he's given me victory over a lot of things. And I'm thankful for what the Lord has done. Uh, last week, I, I kind of got off off our topic. Last week, I just didn't. I really didn't feel led um, of the Lord. Uh, to, to, to come back to this where we're at tonight, um, but this week I really felt led of it. I really felt led to preach what I did last week um, on the life of Ishmael, and I hope you got a blessing out of it. But, um, but this week we're going to be back in our study on blessed assurance uh, out of the book of 1 John, or the little epistle of 1 John. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 John chapter number 2. And... Um, as I was studying this, uh, I, really, I really feel led to teach more tonight. Um, and I know I've said that and I always end up rearing back and preaching, but I really want to help you tonight um, to try to do things. If, if, if I had the opportunity to create a PowerPoint, um, this week would have been a great week to, um, to be able to maybe screen mirror my outline uh, up for you to be able to see. Because I have some things that I really wanted to show you um, about studying and about the, one of the apps that I use. About, uh, because we're going to look at some Greek words tonight. And I think it'll be a help to you uh, when we get to it. But uh, I was, my outline went back to the top. Let's, go, let's scroll back down here where we're supposed to be. Uh, I was looking at last week's outline. I was like, that ain't right. That ain't what I studied. But here we go. Uh, but anyway, this week, I'm actually going to only look at two verses this week. Um, um, and we're not going to make it out of, cha- out of verse number two. And then next week, we'll see what the Lord has in store for us. And uh, I will continue our, our study. Um, but tonight, I'm, gonna, I'm really going to look down. If you want to look at it, it's two different words uh, that we're going to look at tonight. Um, and we're going to look in to see what God has for us. The Bible says this. Um, I'll let you remain seated tonight for the reading. Um, but the Bible says this in 1 John chapter number 2, verse number 1. It says, My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of of the whole world. Lord, I thank you for what you do for us, God. Thank you, Lord, for your love and your mercy and your peace, God. God, I pray, God, you'll help us tonight, God, as we try to, as we, as we try to open your word, God, and as we try to preach, God, and teach, Lord, in the way that you see fit. And Lord, I'm begging you to help us tonight. Give us what we need, God. I pray, God, you'll give us a fresh breath of heaven, God. Give us another shot in the arm, God, to get another day and get, and get us through to the weekend, God. And I pray, God, that you touch us and help us And we'll be careful to give you the praise, the honor, and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. From a a Florida prison cell in June of 1962, a man by the name of Clarence Carl Gideon, um, he wrote a note asking the United States Supreme Court to review his conviction uh, for a crime that he said he did not commit. Um, He added that he didn't have the money or the means to afford a lawyer. Uh, This came down to probably one of the most historic Supreme Court cases known as Gideon uh, versus uh, Wainwright. This happened over a year later. Um, this was a historic uh, court case, Gideon versus Wainwright. Uh, the Supreme Court ruled that people who cannot afford the cost of their own defense must be given a public defender, an advocate provided by the state. With this decision and with the help of the court-appointed lawyer, Clarence Gideon was retried and he was acquitted of all charges. I thought that was, in, I thought that was interesting. 
an advocate is what they said. That's what, that's what they wanted to give somebody. When, you, when somebody's arrested, they're read their Miranda rights, and, which is another Supreme Court case. There's your history. I love history. I'm telling you, even court cases, I can get all, all over it. I love it. But in the Miranda, it was Miranda versus, I, I think it may have been New York City, the state of New York, or the, the, the city of New York. I can't remember exactly how it is, but um, in that case, there was uh, the Miranda rights were created. Uh, that means when somebody's arrested, they are required by the Constitution to be read their Miranda rights. And in that Miranda rights, it says you have the right to an attorney. If you do not have one, there'll be one appointed to you. And so that is where that happens. There will be an advocate that can go before the judge on your behalf. And so tonight, and when we was reading our, our scripture tonight, we came across that word advocate. Advocate is a biblical term. I love Bible terms. A good Bible term is is is, is advocate. And advocate is a, it's a law it's a, it's a it's a it's a law term used for someone that will stand in the place of a guilty or innocent person. Um, they will stand in front of the judge um, on the behalf of that person. And the Bible says here that we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Uh, and so with that court case that I just told you about just a minute ago, that man was innocent. But here was what I was curious about is what happens to the ones who are not innocent. And can I tell you what? When I stand before the Father, I am guilty of sin. There is sin on my, in my life that I'm guilty of. But I have an advocate with the Father that when the Lord looks at me, He don't look at my sin, He looks at my advocate. And he says, Be not because of you, son, not because of me, when he points at me. It's because of Christ. And we're going to look at that tonight on that. But it says this, According to the Apostle Paul, we are all guilty. Uh, but the court of heaven provides an advocate, which is God's expense, at God's expense. Um, the, the, he offers and to defend our, the care for our soul. And we see this in John First uh, uh, John two two, uh, on the behalf of his father Jesus comes to us offering freedom that even prison inmates have described as better than anything they're experienced uh, on the outside. It is a freedom of the heart and of the mind. So I want to ask this question tonight. I really wanted to preach on the advocate. And I'll give you this outline that I really wanted to preach and, uh, and about the advocate and the advocate being the prerogative. Yet uh, uh, that means the yes or the no. We, have, uh, we must have Jesus on our side to take our side to our sins to the Father. We see the prerogative of the advocate. We see the purpose of the advocate, uh, which is Jesus is the one who, who, who has our case before God, before the ultimate judge. We see the problem with our advocate is this, that we still have Satan that's on our, that, that tries to work against us. Uh, our problem is still Satan. But the pleasure of the advocate is it was it pleased the Lord to go to the cross and to die for our sins. It didn't um, uh, it, it, it didn't uh, it doesn't cost us anything to go to heaven. It was, just a, it was the privilege of God uh, to be able to do that. And I really wanted to bring out a few thoughts out of that but I really felt led to teach in a different direction tonight on how is it possible that we can have an advocate with the Father? How is that even possible? How does that thought of that Jesus Christ is going to stand before us and, and how does all that work? And you know, I begin to, to, to look into that and study that and you know um, our Bible, if you'll start looking in your Bible and you'll start backing Bible with Bible. My grandpa told me this the night I announced my call to preach. Uh, he looked me straight in the eye and he said, Son, get you a King James Bible and a Strong's Concordance. And he said, back Bible with Bible and you can never go wrong. 
And so I began to study on the advocate. And you know what? I didn't make it very far before I realized how we can have an advocate. And it's because of what is said in verse number 2. Look in verse number 2. The Bible says this, And He is the propitiation for our sins. He is the propitiation for our sin. That's another Bible term. That's not, a, that's not a modern term, that's a Bible term. The term propitiation. So tonight I want to look at the word propitiation. And what is propitiation? What does it mean when he says uh, he is a propitiation for our sin? And if you want to look at it like this, we're going to look into the doctrine of propitiation tonight. The doctrine of propitiation. And so let's look at it. Number one tonight, let's look at the definition of propitiation. Um, the, the, the Greek words um, here form a verb. And, and I'll try to pronounce these Greek words. That's why I really wanted to show you these words instead of trying to pronounce them. But I'll try to pronounce them. And I'm, if you want me to, if anybody wants me to for your notes, uh, I can spell them for you. You just give me a head nod when I say them. Um, but look right here. It's a verb that means uh, be a propitious or be merciful or to make a propitiation for. Thus, propitiation is the removal of the cause of disfavor. And is to be propitious means uh, to be merciful and to be favorable. That means Jesus Christ stood before us uh, 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 in the throne room of God. If you want to look at it like that, He stood in the, in the judgment hall of God. And as we are standing there guilty in our own sins, uh, He stands there as an advocate to show favor uh, to the ultimate judge, which is God. And so that is, what a, that is what it means to be our propitiation. And this word propitiation is found multiple times in our Bible. Uh, the, um, let me rephrase that. The Greek word for propitiation is found multiple times in our Bible. The first, one of the times, I'm not going to say the first time, but one of the times it is used in our Bible, it's used uh, as the word, um, uh, I thought I had it, hilaskamoa, uh, something like that. Here's how you spell it. H-I-L-A-S-K-O-M-A-I. There you go. Y'all can say that Greek word if you want to. Um, uh, I, I, what's funny is I, I never understood this. Uh, when you read Greek and Hebrew, you know, when we read, we read left to right. Y'all get that? When you read Greek and Hebrew, you read right to left. I don't know if any of y'all knew that or not. Uh, you read right to left when you read Greek and Hebrew. It's very interesting. Um, it's a neat. It's a neat. It's a neat language. I, I don't know if I can. I don't even know English, so I don't even need to try to learn another language. That's why. That's why I don't understand why they try to teach me Spanish in school. It just didn't work. But anyway, that word right there that I just spelt to you—it's a verb. It's found in Luke chapter number eighteen, verse number thirteen. The Bible says this: "And the publican standing afar off would." Not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Uh, be merciful. That word merciful right there is the exact same word. It's the exact same Greek word that we find right here in 1 John chapter number 2, verse number 2, when you see the word propitiation. It means to be merciful. That means God was merciful unto us. You know, we deserve the penalty of death, but God, He put His mercy onto us. You think about that for a second, what God done. And we, a lot of times we feel like it's we done something when we got saved. We feel like it's something that we done. You know, it is nothing that we done to be saved. It, what happened in the moment that we got saved is something that God done for us. He put His mercy 
on us. We didn't go get the mercy. The mercy was given to us. And, and so you can see that in the verb uh, of that I just spelled just a minute ago. So there's also another form of the Greek word in our Bible. It's hilasmus. Uh, uh, hilamus. If you only got it right, that is H-I-L-A-S-M-O-S. And this noun, it means uh, the appeasing of propitiation. The appeasing of, appici- of, of, of propitiation, which is what we find here in John chapter number 2, uh, verse number 2. Uh, and also, or 1 John chapter number 2, verse number 2, and in 1 John chapter number 4, verse number 10. Uh, let me read over, I'll flip over there and read that verse to you. John chapter, uh, 1 John 4, 10, the Bible says this, uh, Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation uh, for our sins. Uh, Christ is the propitiation because He, in His work on Calvary, removed the cause of God's judgment toward man. Um, that's what that noun means to, means there. And then we see this one. This was pretty neat right here that I thought, and this is where we're going to kind of, uh, you want to put your waders on. We may get a little deep right here. Um, but I, wanna, I don't want to go over your head here. But here's the third, one, uh, the third Greek word that, it, that propitiation is used as, and it is used as, uh, yeah, I'm just going to spell it, H-I-L-A-S-T-E-R-I-O-N. This word is used in um, Hebrews 9.5 and Romans 3.25, and this is when it's referring to the mercy seat of God. And so I wanted to do a little study on the mercy seat. What is the mercy seat of God? Uh, The mercy seat of God is first introduced in Exodus chapter number 25, um, verses 10 through 22. Um, And this is a part of a larger passage of Scripture, as we know, that is dealing with the construction of the tabernacle and the furnishing of the tabernacle. Uh, One of these days, we'll do a neat little study on the tabernacle and the furniture of the tabernacle. And I'm here to tell you, when you start studying the tabernacle, has anybody ever done a study on the tabernacle? Uh, anybody ever heard a preacher preach on the on the furniture of a tabernacle? Uh, I, I'm not, not sure on that one. But anyway, I'm here to tell you, we'll dig into that right there, and I'm here to tell you that's life-changing. Uh, when you start seeing how God works, you've got to understand that this, the, um, the, um, the tabernacle in the Old Testament um, is the, it's God's plan. I think we look at it and it gets a bad note. Uh, note uh, uh, what's the word I'm trying to look at? It gets a bad rap, I guess, if you want to look at it like that, because it's it's part of Judaism. But there is so much Christianity found in the tabernacle; it'll blow your mind when you start looking at it. You will start reading that, and, and verses in the new in the New Testament under Days of Grace will start clicking to you, and you'll go. That's where that came from. That's why Paul said that. That's why uh, Matthew... So you got to understand this. The, 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 there's four different viewpoints of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew was trying to make the connection um, uh, from the Jewish viewpoint uh, to the Christianity. He was trying to make that connection. That's why Genesis or Matthew 1.1, 1, 1, uh, you begin the genealogy of Christ and all of the begats. You know, this one begat that one, this one begat that one. That is because we're, they, he was trying to connect the Jewish and Judaism to Christianity. He was trying to make that connection for them and trying to win them over uh, uh, to that and win them to that Jesus was the Messiah. He was trying to win them that. But anyway, um, 
the, the tabernacle and its furnishing. The first 13 verses um, uh, in, in or, uh, 13 verses of chapter number 25 uh, describe what came to be known as the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, the first few verses describe the Ark itself, the wooden box that is about 45 inches long, 27 inches wide, um, and 27 inches tall, um, that has legs and rings and carrying poles, that's overlaid with gold. Contained within the Ark were the stone of tablets and the words of the covenant within them. Uh, it had Aaron's rod that budded. Um, but, but all of that is in, the, is, in the, um, uh, is in the Ark of the Covenant. And it says the rest of the passage of Scripture describes the lid of the Ark of the Covenant. The lid of the Ark of the Covenant um, is used with this Greek word. Y'all ready? K-A-P-P-O with a little thingabob above the O. R-E-T. Uh, and I think it's pronounced caparot. Uh, uh, which is the lid, which is what's referred to as the lid of the mercy seat. Now, the lid of the mercy seat is, or the lid of the tabernacle, or the lid of the ark of the covenant. I'm sorry, the lid of the ark of the covenant is the mercy seat of God. It is the very mercy seat. So, what is the mercy seat? It is. The, it is. It was initially where God met with Moses to communicate the law with him. So when they would go into the holies of holies and they would go back to the back behind the, the, the big veil of the temple, the Ark of the Covenant sat there. And on top of the Ark of the Covenant was this caparot or this lid to the mercy seat. And on this mercy seat was four cherubims, um, which, are, which are the same cherubims that we describe over there in Ezekiel chapter number uh, one or chapter number two, I believe, uh, when it talks about they had the, the four-faced uh, beast uh, that surround the throne of God. God. And this got four cherubims that are around it, and God would be present above the mercy seat. He would be on the mercy seat. And basically, if you go over to Leviticus chapter number 16, and it starts to the description of the Day of Atonement um, uh, during those days. And I'm really not, I'm truly, I'm trying to give you a lot, but I don't want to give you too much and, and lose you. But on the Day of the Atonement, the priest uh, would bring in the goats, and they would send out the scapegoat. But the goat that, would, that the lot fell on, that they were supposed to to sacrifice, they would bring this goat into the holies of holies, uh, and there's there's so much furniture I'm skipping over because I don't I just have I don't have time to go into it. But they would go into the tabernacle, bring it around the holies of holies. He would sacrifice the animal there. The blood then would be sprinkled in front of the altar. It'd be which is the ark of the covenant. It would be it would be put on the front of it, and then it would also be placed on the mercy seat. It would literally be placed on the mercy seat directly on the Ark of the Covenant. And that was where we find that sweet-smelling savor uh, that the Lord talks about of the sacrifice that was made there in the blood uh, that was applied on the mercy seat. And, and, I, and, and that's where we get uh, the term uh, mercy seat is from the lid of the Ark of the Covenant that is in the presence of God. You may ask the question today, where is the Ark of the Covenant? Where is the Ark of the Covenant? Y'all all look at me like y'all are ready for an answer of where the Ark of the Covenant is. I don't know. Can I tell you where I believe it is? I believe it's in heaven today. I believe it is placed on the right hand 
of the Father. I believe it is one of the few pieces of earthly furniture that we will see in heaven. And I believe it is the Ark of the Covenant and it is placed on the right hand of the Father and sitting on the Ark of the Covenant is none other than Jesus Christ Himself. He's not sitting there at looking like the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, but He's sitting there looking as a lamb as though He'd been slain, as Revelation chapter number 5 tells us. And that's where I believe Jesus is at today. And I believe that is where that, that we see Him today is at uh, the the right hand of the Lord, or our right hand of the Father. But fourth uh, Hebrew word or Greek word that we find uh, for propitiation is H-I-L-E-O-S, which means uh, another way of seeing uh, being merciful, that God is is propitious or merciful because He has been uh, propitiated by Christ in His atonement in Hebrews 8.12. We can read, we can find it there. We, uh, we may therefore conclude that the essential idea in propitiation is that the, of satisfaction of the divine justice uh, by the death of Jesus Christ. Let me read that again. The, uh, the essential idea in the doctrine of propitiation is that of satisfaction of divine justice uh, by the death of Jesus Christ. That, that, there's you a deep one-liner about the doctrine of propitiation. Um, look right here. I'm going to give you something right here, and, I, and we're going to move on. But in, in Luke chapter number 18, verse number 13, uh, when you read that, let me give that back. Let me read that part to you. It says, And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes into heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God... He, and look, look how he uses these words here. This is why I really, we got to get a projector going. Because this would be great for a good point, a good pointer out right here. It says right here, it says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now, that is perfect language uh, for the dispensation in which the, the publican is living. Now, this is before the death of Christ on the cross, right? We know Jesus is living. This is before he died on the cross. And so this publican was saying, be merciful to me, a sinner. What he's saying is, you've not yet been to the cross. You've not yet made that propitiation. You've not been the ultimate sacrifice. But when you do, please be merciful to me, a sinner. Think about this right here when the, when the thief on the cross. There's some good stuff right here. When the thief on the cross right there, he said, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Thy, today thy faith has made thee whole. Jesus is saying right there that we're about to see a change of dispensation, that we're about to go from the time of law until the time of grace. And at his death is when we ultimately see the propitiation of the Lord. He says this right here in that because it was a past tense or in a, in a future tense of the word because in the future at that moment when the publican said that prayer to be merciful to me a sinner Jesus has not yet been to the cross. He is going to the cross. But in our dispensation we need to understand that, that the accomplished propitiation has already happened. Um, he has already went to the cross. Uh, he has already placed his blood at the mercy seat and we all already have that atonement. We already have that victory. We already have forgiveness of our sins. That is one reason. That is the definition of propitiation. But look right here and we'll be fast for the rest of this. Look at the demand of the propitiation. The demand of the propitiation. It says this, there was the demand because of the ruin of the human race. Uh, there was a ruin in the human race. Can I tell you what sin does? Sin ruins things. 
Uh, sin ruins a lot of things. Sin will ruin your testimony. Sin will ruin your um, uh, uh, sin will, will ruin a marriage. Sin will ruin a family. Sin will ruin a church. Sin will ruin you as a person. Um, sin is awful. Can I tell you? Have I ever told you that sin is not good for any of us? Uh, sin is bad, and it is a ruin of the human. The Bible very clearly states that universally, sin is part of the human race. It was from the beginning when Adam sinned and Eve sinned in the garden, sin was entered into us. And uh, there is a, there's a sin nature that lives deep inside of us. Uh, uh, the revelation of Jesus makes it evident that there is a real need for, sanctif- uh, for satisfying the just demands of a holy God for judgment on sin. Uh, there's going to come a day where God will ultimately judge sin. And which side of that judgment are you going to be on? Are you going to be on the side of judgment with the side where you have the advocate? Or are you going to be on the other side where you have no advocate? That's the two sides of the judgment that's going to take place that day. And there was a demand um, for propitiation because of the ruin uh, of the human race. But look right here. There was a demand uh, for the propitiation because of the righteous God. Um, there, that's the demand tonight is because He's righteous. The Bible reveals uh, with unmistakable cl- uh, clearness the perfect holiness and righteousness of God. Um, in the view of His perfect holiness and righteousness, it is clear that he must be perfectly propitiated or satisfied before his love can operate freely in grace. The necessity of propitiation is met in the death of Christ for sinners. The Bible reveals again and again that the death of Christ was a sacrifice for sin and that that these uh, many references can only be explained on the basis of the doctrine of propitiation. If God had not needed to be propitiated, then there would be no need for Christ to have died in the first place. There was a demand because of His righteousness. Look right here. I see the definition of propitiation. I see the demand of propitiation. But look right here. Let's look at the description of propitiation. Look right here. Look, the description of propitiation can be summed up in one word, I believe, and that is substitution. And that is substitution. When you begin to study doctrines of your Bible, you will understand that the doctrine of substitution, the doctrine of propitiation, and the doctrine of imputed righteousness, all three run simultaneously at the same time throughout our Scripture. Um, you can find it. Um, but substitution is the best description uh, for, 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 for propitiation. The doctrine of propitiation itself is not mentioned in the Old Testament whatsoever. Uh, in the Old Testament, you will not see a place where there is a, there is a spot for an advocate. Um, the, uh, these animals that was in the Old Testament, there was nobody that stood for them on their behalf um, because judgment was going to fall on them. Um, but when we examine the offerings of the Old Testament, substitution is very evident in those offerings. Uh, many of these offerings are types and pictures of what Christ has done, um, who is their fulfillment and their only perfect substitute. Understand this about the Old Testament. Jesus did not come... Um, Uh, to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. I think we've heard that our whole life. How many people have heard that statement in their lifetime, that Jesus did not come to destroy the law, but He came to fulfill that law. And what what, what He's trying to say there, and what he's He's trying to show us is that the Old Testament is not old news. The Old Testament is a shadow of the things to come. Um, If you want to look at it like that, Paul refers to that. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but it shows some things. But... 
In the Old Testament, um, we, we see that, the, that if you study out those sacrifices, you will find a connection between those sacrifices and what Jesus has done for us. Um, but then we see the substitution in the New Testament. Look right here. Christ's sacrifice, um, Christ's sacrifice was singular. Look right here. Was offered once for all. The Jesus was died on a cross once for all. It was a singular sacrifice. In the Old Testament, they had to continually go back to the priest. They had to go back for another sacrifice. Um, they had to go back for another day of atonement. They had to go back to ask for forgiveness again. Let me just tell you this right here. When we ask forgiveness of our sins uh, and Christ begins to live in us and, and we begin to live in the victory of that propitiation, uh, we'll realize that Christ died one time for our sins forever. That's what happened. Look right here. Christ's sacrifice is sufficient. It was complete and eternal satisfaction for sins um, uh, in the, of the Old Testament, New Testament, and the Future Testament, if you want to look at it like that. Uh, uh, that that's exactly what he done. It was sat can, I, can I say this? That if we were to go, if we could, if we could rip back these, this, this, the roof here and we could reach up and open up the sky and open up the space around us and begin to look deep into outer space and open up everything and be able to look into heaven, look at God and look at the right hand of the mercy seat and begin to look at Jesus Christ himself, I believe with all my heart we will not find a bit of dry blood. It will not be dry. It'll be just as fresh as it was 2,000 years ago when they, when they first nailed him to that cross, when they first put the nails in his hand, when they first put the crown of thorns on his head. I believe it'll be just that fresh because it is sufficient. The, when we, I have as much uh, uh, salvation as me today as the thief on the cross did uh, on Calvary. I have just as much salvation living in me now because it's the same salvation. It was sufficient. It was singular. It was sufficient. But look right here. It was sensible. In contrast to the Old Testament sacrifice where the victims... Now listen to this. I thought this was interesting. This is not my stuff. This is something I found. I want to give it to you. Look right here. The victims, which were the animals. Can we say that? The victims of the Old Testament sacrifices were the animals. They were the ones that were brought to be sacrificed. Look right here. They were unintelligent, and they came involuntarily. You think about that. Let your mind wrap around that. Them animals that came as an Old Testament, I promise you they didn't line up at the door to say, pick me. Uh, I guarantee you when they, when they went out there to the goat lot and uh, they realized Sister Leroy didn't come back the day before, they wasn't going to be the next Sister Leroy, if you're picking what I'm saying. Uh, they, they, they was not going to be that. They were going to, um, they did not want to be around there if you could get into the animal's mind. But Christ in his sacrifice was willing to die and intellectually accepted the place of the substitution for all sinners. He, he knew what he was doing. Think about this. That goat, when they placed that blade on that, that goat's throat and began to slice its throat to open up the blood to come out, that goat had no idea what it was doing. But can I tell you what? When Jesus was placed on that cross and He began the process of death to the human body, He knew exactly what He was doing. There was never one moment that He didn't know what was taking place. There was never one moment that He was caught off guard. He knew what was going to be said. 
He knew what was going to happen, and he knew the pain that he was going to face. He knew the agony of what he was going to go through. He was intelligent. He knew in his mind that he was going to be the ultimate sacrifice for every living creature to have ever lived, to every living creature that was ever going to live, that he was going to be the ultimate sacrifice for every one of them. It was sensible. Look right here. I see the description of the propitiation. Look right here. Let's look at the discernment of the propitiation. Propitiation means that God justified in forgiving sin. Look right here. It is important that men realize the absolute necessity for God um, who is holy to judge sin. Uh, That's what's got to take place. There's going to come a day where God has to judge sin. And and he done this, the propitiation comes place, the advocate comes place uh, to solve the problem that we all have, which is how do we go before God with our sin? God cannot be in the presence of sin. And each and every one of us never lives a perfect life. Each and every one of us has sin on us. We have sin in our life. And can I tell you what? If it wasn't for our advocate, we could never make it to God. We could never make it to our ultimate heavenly home. Look right here. Propitiation means that God justified and forgiven sin. Look right here. Propitiation means that God is justified in bestowing righteousness. Now this is where the, the, the doctrine of imputed righteousness comes into play. That when we stand before God on the day of judgment. Now think about this church. Now look, this gets me excited. I don't know if it gets you excited, but if it don't, you probably need to just get saved. That's as simple as it gets because we're talking about what's going to happen the day that we stand before God in judgment. The Bible says, be absent from the body is be present with the Lord. In the moment that we stand before God in judgment, what He's going to see when He looks at us is He's going to see nothing but filthy rags. Because our righteousness is nothing but filthy rags. That's what we think He's going to see. But can I tell you what He's ultimately going to see? If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior and you were saved, can I tell you what He's going to look at when He sees you? He's going to see the righteousness from His own Son. You think about everything that he's ever said great about his son. He's going to see the righteousness of his son imputed on you on the day of judgment. That means you're going to... Look, man, y'all ain't getting this, I don't think. That means you're going to stand before God in all of your sins and everything that you've done wrong and he's going to look at you and all he's going to see is the son. All he's going to see is Jesus Christ. All he's going to see is the goodness that makes up the Lord. That's all he's going to see. You think about that. If that, don't, if that don't crank your tractor, you may need to get some fuel in the tractor. You may need to. That, that right there excites me. Look right here. He imputes his righteousness uh, on to us. And I'm telling you, I don't have enough time to go into that. Propitiation is justified in bestowing all grace to all sinners. Having been fully sanctified, satisfied, no blessing will be withheld from the believer. And yet the full realization of God's blessing will only be experienced by by the believers in their eternal state. You think about this, right? What what that means is, we was talking about this, Brother Grady, before church. We're truly not going to know everything until we get to heaven. But when we get to heaven, we get that glorified body. And all the understanding, all the white spaces of our Bible become life. And we're all knowing just like Christ is. When we know what He knows... That's when we'll fully understand what imputed righteousness truly is. Look right here. I see, lastly, the development of propitiation. There's a development over time in propitiation. 
Um, I showed you that there was no propitiation in the Old Testament. But look right here. Look at the reality real quick of the God's wrath. Can I tell you, God's wrath is real. People say this, that hell is the worst thing that they'll ever experience. Can I tell you not? That's not the truth. Hell is not the worst thing that everybody will experience that are lost. The lake of fire is not the worst thing that they'll experience. I, I believe with all my heart it's not. Can I tell you what the worst thing that a sinner will experience one day? Is that moment that if they, well let's put it this way, if they die before Christ's coming, that means they already spent time in hell. That means they're, they're living there now. That means they're going to be brought out of hell. And they're going to have to stand in the presence of an angry God. They're going to have to stand in the presence of an angry God. And God's going to show them. I believe at that moment right then, for a brief moment, they're going to get to see the mind of Christ. And I believe that they're going to see what God done for them. I honestly do. I think He's going to show them exactly what He done for them. And then I believe they're going to have to try to answer the question, Why did you not love me? I loved you that I gave you everything. I gave you my very best. Why did you not love me? And they're going to have to stand in the presence of an angry God. That right there, my friend, you would rather, you would rather spend an eternity in hell than have to spend a moment in the presence of an angry God. God's wrath is real. Look right here. In the Old Testament, the word wrath is used 151 times. 151 times. It's, it's using like 149 different verses. 151 times the word wrath is used. But look right here. In the New Testament, God's wrath is only used 47 times. And out of those 47 times, I can only find three cases where it is not talking about the second coming of God and His wrath on the second coming. It's because of propitiation. It's because you are right now as saved as you will ever be. Right now, I'm not, I'm not, so don't think I'm some, don't think I'm a Jehovah's Witness when I say what I'm about to say, or don't think that I'm some, some, some other denomination that ain't coming to me right now. I don't believe on heaven on earth. I don't believe that. I do believe that we're going to spend a thousand years during the millennial reign here on earth. I do believe that. But I do not believe that there will be an actual literal heaven on earth. I don't believe in that. But, can I say this right here? You are as much, you are, you are right, if you're saved right now, you are as much in heaven as you'll ever be. You're in heaven. You, you can live in that victory is what the Bible's trying to tell us. You can live with the full victory and you can be living as if you're in heaven right now. That's why he took away that wrath. He took away the wrath. Look right here. I see the reality of God's wrath, but I see the remedy of God's wrath, and that is the propitiation. That is propitiation. To turn, the ultimate definition, to turn away wrath by the satisfaction of violated justice. And what I mean by that is satisfying that the justice that we, are, we, we deserve is the death of the cross. We deserve death. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. We deserve death. That's what we deserve. But the gift is that we have eternal life because... He is our propitiation because He died on the cross for our sins. Look right here, the, the, the remedy is because of the shadow. Look right here, the Old Testament just shows us that the wages of sin is death. The Old Testament, the wrath of God in the Old Testament proves to us that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. The substance is this. The substance of propitiation is that Jesus came to take away 
the sin of the world. That's what he came to do. Propitiation is ultimately Jesus died on a cross to take away the sin of the whole world. And now today, because of propitiation, because he was the propitiation for our sins. But looking right here, let me just, let me just add a little bit to it. He didn't just have the propitiation for our sins. Now, imagine this. We read that verse, and we read it, and we shout that he is our propitiation, that he died for our sins. But can I tell you what right now? John wrote this. John is a Jew. Understand that. He's saying to the Jews that he was the propitiation for our sins. But can I tell you what? He went a little further. And he said this right here. But not ours only. Oh, no. He didn't die just for the sins of the Jews, but for the sins of the whole world. Look what it says. It says not ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. The whole world. Can I tell you where you're at in that verse right there? You look right down there where it says whole world. That's you. That's me.